Hey there, welcome to Finding Space. I'm your host, Alex Tyson. If you've been following me for a while now, you'll know that regularly I talk about the importance of the environment that we live in, because ultimately the actions that we take every single day influence the way that we feel, influences our physiology and our overall levels of energy and vitality, right? However, if the environment that we live in is plagued with, let's say, things which don't really serve us, it can be quite detrimental to our overall health and ultimately it may even change the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. And so today I've got an exciting interview with an absolute expert in her field whereby we talk about the environmental challenges that come with living in a modern world. Things like Wi-Fi, things like electromagnetic fields, things like mold, toxicity in the environments that we inhabit. And we get to understand the complexity of this and also some things we can do to to work towards reducing, if you will, the toxic burden that can come with living in homes in 2023. Today, I'm speaking with Nicole Belsma. Nicole Belsma is the founder and principal of the Australian College of Environmental Studies, which provides nationally accredited training in building biology, mold, and electromagnetic field testing. Nicole is a leading voice in building awareness of the unseen troubles that may be within our homes and causing us disease. Nicole is the author of the book, Healthy Home, Healthy Family, and has completed a PhD, which explores the impact of environmental exposures on human health and their ramifications for clinical practice. Nicole has lectured at tertiary institutions for over 30 years, has published in peer-reviewed journals, and is regularly consulted by the media to discuss mold, electromagnetic fields, and toxic chemicals within our environments. In today's interview, we started with some listener questions. From there, we jumped into things to keep in mind and consider when buying a new home, environmental exposures, pesticides, and magnetic fields. I get Nicole's take on 5G, and we wrap it all up with some good news about where we can start with the home environment we currently inhabit. If you want to ask a question of the upcoming guests we have on the podcast, make sure you follow the podcast Instagram, where we post about the upcoming guests, and you can ask questions for me to ask them at finding.space.podcast on Instagram. So turn off your Wi-Fi, pull out your old corded headphones, and let's dive into today's interview. And so I give you Nicole Belsma. Nicole Belsma, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Um, I want to start off with something a little different. We put out that we're going to have you on, and a few people sent in some questions. So I just want to start there because I think that's going to set the tone. Um, Ellie wrote in and asked, should I be removing my gas cooktop in the house and replacing it with induction or an electric cooktop? That's a big question. Induction, I don't recommend because it can emit high magnetic fields. And um, if she's a woman of reproductive age, the reality is her and her partner are likely to be spending quite a bit of time cooking, especially when the kids come along. So we have found many induction cookers emit very high magnetic fields and the research is showing that, you know, children exposed to high magnetic fields in the first 15 years of life at 4 milligauss or higher have a doubling the incidence of childhood leukaemia. So to have a fetus exposed to high magnetic fields in utero is something that I would be cautious about. So induction I don't like for that reason. Um, gas 
is controversial. I've, you know, measuring gas appliances for carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, the level that's going through the um, stoves is so minimal. It's never been an issue in the 20 years that I've been consulting. So I've already got my radar up as to why this shift from gas, and I think there's more political reasons underpinning this, which I'm not an expert on. So um, if you have a home that is, you know, older, that's good ventilation, just opening up windows slightly to improve passive ventilation is sufficient and unlikely to expose yourself to, you know, noxious gases. If the gas is orange or yellow flame, that it's not combusting properly and therefore you need a licensed plumber immediately to address that. But that generally is only going to happen in really old gas stoves that haven't been serviced, etc. So yes electric stoves look they are definitely an option make sure the digital display is the transformer for the digital displays at the back of the unit i would get a gauss meter to measure the magnetic field because the digital display on the electric ovens and can be quite high so that alone just standing in front of it while you're cooking just the display alone can be an issue without the oven on so i'll get a gauss meter to check that there are ovens but there's not a particular model or brand that I could recommend because some models in the brands are good, some aren't. So just to get a gauss meter when you're in the store to check that the magnetic field from the digital display isn't high magnetic fields, that's what I'd do. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And where can you actually find a good gas meter or a, or a milligauss meter? Where can you actually find a good quality one of these because there's so many out there to me it's like a bit of a barrier to doing some of this really important work mm. you know because they they can be hard to find so where, where can you find some good ones well a gauss meter g-a-u-s-s a gauss meter is used to measure ac magnetic fields and the good news is most of them are pretty much the same you want to make sure it's a triaxial field gauss meter so it measures in the x y and z plane not a single axis because it means it's only measuring in one plane so it's likely to underestimate the exposure so make sure it's a triple axis a good one's about anywhere from you know 300 to 400 dollars they're not expensive compared to our high frequency meters that are measuring radio frequencies from wi-fi enabled devices and that's a whole other can of worms to <laughs> big can of worms big, big can of worms <laughs> <laughs> All right, beautiful. That's great. And Aaron wrote in a question. He's living on a busy road. Uh, any advice for reducing exhaust and particle impact on the household air, etc.? Yes. So the first thing is I'd ask him the age of the home. The older it is, the more likely it shifts. There are more likely to be cracks. The windows may not be fitted properly. Make sure that it's as sealed as well as it can be. So closing windows during peak hour is very important and doors, of course, and having an air purifier that's fitted with a HEPA filter, a high efficiency particular air filter and a carbon filter. So the HEPA filter will filter particulate matter that comes from traffic related air pollutants and the carbon filter will filter the VOCs, volatile organic compounds which comes from also traffic related air pollutants like PAHs and etc. In terms of noxious gases like nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, there's not much you can do about that except to seal your building, especially at the front, keep all your windows and doors shut during peak hour. And that's really, really important. Another thing is when you're dusting, make sure you use a slightly damp microfiber cloth 
because the dust you'll find in areas where there's high levels of traffic that the dust is darker because of the wear and tear from the carbon emitted from the tires the wear and tear of the tires but also diesel exhaust as well so you know as you walk down through the house i notice the dust can be lighter so often that can be a sign to mean that there's heavier traffic related air pollutants that's coming filtering into the home the way you deal with dust in the home is important because most of the allergens and the particulates are going to be in the dust so damp microfiber cloth to dust followed by a clean tea towel and a really good vacuum cleaner fitted with a HEPA filter yeah nice I once stayed at a friend's house in Melbourne City and she said oh Alex I close the doors at night check out the table in the morning I went out there in the morning and it was like a thick layer of just soot on a table I was like what is that she's like oh that just overnight that just accumulates every day it was like it hit me. I was like, whoa. I mean, I mean, that's in a city, Melbourne City, busy place, but we may not necessarily see it, but it's still there. And so taking those precautions, I think, is a really, really good step. Um, again, like, how do we find a good HEPA filter? You can spend thousands of dollars on these things. Do we need to do that? What's the easiest kind of way to get this sort of protection started in the house? Well, yeah, it, the things that I mentioned, and you're right, isn't it amazing? Australia is considered to be one of the cleanest areas as opposed to Asian countries where it's more populated, heavier traffic. We know that air pollution from traffic can reduce your lifespan. That's well understood in the scientific literature. And I think that's a great example uh, in your friend is that that's what her lungs are taking in. It's like she's smoking and they often equate it to a smoker because you are taking in really toxic particles as a result that's the cost of living in a built-up area where there's heavy traffic you know southeastern freeway eastern freeway it comes at a cost and that's why it's really important to take those precautions in terms of air purifiers there are good ones on the market i think you know you could easily get a very good one for five or six hundred dollars the bigger the HEPA filter, the better. Ideally, it needs to be an absolute filter because there's different grades of HEPA filter systems and it needs to be appropriate for the size of the room. So people often get small air purifiers for a large living space or an open space and it's not really effective. So it needs to be, the capture zone needs to be appropriate for the size of the room. I would suggest if finances are an issue, you have one on rollers that wherever you are in the house, it follows you, you just bring it with you to be able to filter the air. One of the biggest decisions I made when I moved into my environment was making sure I could see trees out of every window of the house because the trees are the lungs of the planet. So they do the filtering for me because if you don't get a filter, your body becomes that filter. And that's a motto I often spruik during medical conferences. <laughs> that filters are really important because your body becomes that instead you know whether it's water filtration is an absolute key you know i find it interesting in my naturopathic degree and acupuncture degree we didn't focus on air we didn't focus on water and they are so critical you can't be well if your air is polluted and of course we know our indoor air can be up to five times or more polluted than the outdoor air which is already an issue you know outdoor air kills more australians than the road toll according to the research and indoor air is more polluted than that because we buy stuff we spray things we assume because it's on the supermarket shelf it's been tested when it couldn't be further from the truth so really reducing exposures in terms of what you spray what you use being really conscious about what you're buying 
as we know, rampant consumerism is contributing to climate change and global pollution on an unprecedented scale. Mm. Okay. So right off the bat, we've covered a couple important topics. We're talking air, we're talking, you mentioned EMFs a little bit there. When we say looking at a new home to buy, to rent, whatever that might be, so we're going to spend some time in an area, what are the main few things that we should be looking for to kind of assess like, is this a good environment to be in? And if it's not like, what can I do? What can I change to make it somewhere that I actually want to live that isn't going to be detrimental to my health? Well, the first thing I'd do as a building biologist is I'd look at what existing health issues the client has, because if they're an asthmatic or have respiratory problems, um, then, you know, being in a built up area is not going to be ideal because of the traffic related air pollution industry. Uh, all of those things are going to be a problem. We know the areas that are problematic are things like um, walk traffic related air pollutants, flight paths, and the exposure zones are seven kilometres. So if you're within a airport seven k's where they're decelerating, accelerating, that's the time, especially where during acceleration, that you're going to be exposed to high levels of noxious gases and particulate matter. When you are, you know, within a kilometre of a wind turbine, that's going to be an issue for the infrasound, increased risk for tinnitus, many years, balance-related disorders. If you're within 400 metres, say, from high-voltage transmission lines, your exposure to magnetic fields are going to be escalated, more of an issue for the kids, for reasons I discussed previously. Um, knowing what hazards are in the immediate vicinity is important, and that's where Google Maps is fantastic. So. We train our building biologists to look at Google Maps and go, okay, where are all these potential hazards? This was part of my research is to look at what the exposure zones are, are. you know, even things like coal seam gas, how close do you need to be before you get affected? Golf courses are notoriously bad for pesticide exposures. And I've had, you know, some of my colleagues who are really high up in the naturopathic industry who've had organic food for 20 years and are so health conscious, get their bloods tested and they have very high levels of pesticides because they live within a block away from a golf course that is spraying notoriously very high levels of pesticides in the early hours of the morning when no one's looking that are, you know, often contributing to autism, neurodevelopmental disorders, neurodegenerative disorders, dementia, Alzheimer's, potentially cancer risks. So these are the things I would look at if someone said to me, if I'm going to buy a house, I'd say, well, let's look on Google Maps. Where is it? How close is it to the mobile phone base station, military bases, airports, um, traffic-related air pollutants? And I've wrote that in the book. So in the book, you've got a beautiful table that took me years of research <laughs> to go, make sure you don't live within these metres of these issues, power lines, all those sort of stuff. Cool. What's the name of your book? Healthy Home, Healthy Family. Love it. Love it. Yeah, cool. And I am guessing, I haven't read your book. I'm guessing that is just like an encyclopedia of what to look for, what to know, <laughs> what to avoid, everything like that. Yeah, it starts with how things are, sta exposure standards are developed and it talks about the four dog defence. So basically how industry keeps toxic products in the market <laughs> mm. and how exposure standards are in compromise with the industry to see what's practicable in a workplace. So it really looks and digs into that to get consumers aware that what you buy on the shelf may not actually have been tested and that environmental chemicals is really much about what's in compromise with agriculture, pharmaceutical, uh, industry, et cetera, and that you really need to get 
your health into a good place, you need to be aware of the fact that most people aren't making an informed choice when they go to the supermarket. They make assumptions that are unfounded because those exposure standards are not based on public health. They're based on what's practicable in a workplace. Last year, in fact, was a pivotal point in terms of environmental exposures because that was the year where environmental chemical exposure crossed the planetary boundary considered safe for humanity. <laughs> so it's really depressing, actually. Wait, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it means, unfortunately, that our exposures to environmental chemicals are having adverse health effects mm. um, from the cradle to the grave and significantly increasing our risks for many, many chronic diseases, which is what my research PhD was looking at. What impact were these environmental exposures having on human health? Um, and we're at a point where we need to quickly, which is why podcasts like this are important, to educate people not to buy products um, that are going to adversely impact their health, whether it's personal care products, you know, cleaning products. We really need to go back to basics in terms of what products we're purchasing because a lot of the problems we have are actually what people are buying and bringing into their home and spraying in their home and cleaning their homes with, whereas there are much better options that are a lot safer that they can use, which is the sort of message that I'd like to get across to consumers. I love what you said about golf courses because it goes so overlooked, but when you actually think about it, a golf course is an extremely unnatural environment. Like where else have you seen like the same type of grass for like kilometers perfectly cut and green? like? It's not quite normal. In fact, walking on a golf course after that, you kind of want to give your shoes a bit of a bit of a clean because otherwise you're going to be bringing glyphosates and whatever into the house. It's exactly. Wash your clothes, you know, and um, it, very, very important. So, yeah, exercise is great, really important. But when I know my clients are exercising in heavy traffic, cycling or walking in heavy traffic, it sort of defeats the purpose, you know, of their capacity to want to get healthy when they're breathing in high levels of really toxic um, air mm. or being exposed to, you know, potential high levels of chemicals. Now, we know because of gene profiles that some people are going to be far greater risk of chemicals from a golf course than others where it may not ever show or be an issue because their detoxification capacity can vary tenfold amongst consumers. So one person can work in David Jones in the perfume department for 20 years and another person can work past and get a migraine headache for two days. Um, our capacity to process these toxicants varies enormously and that's what's become obvious when we map the human genome. Mm. There was a great movie years ago, actually it wasn't that long ago, but it was called Dark Water, had Mark Ruffalo in it. I'm a fan of him. And yeah, it was about Teflon and how Teflon ended up in the water streams and it was making all these people sick and cancer and whatnot. So how is it that chemicals are still being able to be put into supermarkets in certain ways that perhaps we're not aware of? Like, How is that still a thing? Well, because again, the exposure standards are not public health based standards, they're based on compromise with the industry. The problem is that when you bring a chemical to market, you don't have to prove it's safe. 
That's the problem. So the burden of proof isn't on industry to prove safety. The burden of proof is on the researchers to show it causes adverse health effects. It took 50 years to prove asbestos caused lung cancer, mesothelioma and asbestosis, 50 years. There was a lot of information in historically in potters and miners that asbestos caused lung cancer. But until you prove scientifically, whereas the evidence-based medicine, to achieve evidence-based medicine is almost impossible to achieve that there is causation. So in research, we look at is there an association, uh, is there causation, is there correlation, the three things. To show causation is almost impossible, to show conclusively that A causes B. Now, this enables, this way of thinking of harm actually keeps a lot of the manufacturers and the toxic products in the workplace and in consumers everyday products because it's very difficult lead paint you know it took years environmental tobacco smoke again 50 years before that was legislated because of the propaganda and the marketing machines and bringing doctors on board who were smoking in the ads in the 60s and 70s and actually it doesn't cause lung cancer no because the latency period was so long like asbestos so to show cause and effect for latency and probably the hardest thing to show cause and effect is environmental chemicals because Often the exposures are happening in utero, but don't show up until teenagehood or when the woman is of reproductive age and is trying to have kids or it gives birth to kids with neurodevelopmental disorders, which is now pandemic. Kids with autism and ADHD, it's just a pandemic. You did not see that. Four in 10,000 kids were diagnosed with autism in 1970. Now we're looking at up to one in 35 in some communities. It's just extraordinary. And what happened in that time is our dramatic increase in environmental exposures and especially changes in farming practices. That's when, you know, we start to introduce the agricultural chemicals, the organic chlorines and the DDT, which is still breaking down in our soils and especially Melbourne, which was one big orchard. Now we've got the organophosphates, which are associated with significant adverse health effects and Parkinson's and dementia, et cetera. And of course, neurodevelopmental disorders, ADHD and autism. We've got the carbamates and pyrethroids and all of these other things. Pesticides are probably the most toxic chemical that are associated with the most chronic diseases. And I think part of the reason could be that, you know, apart from impacting our detoxification pathways, many pesticides are antibacterial, which means they're anti-human. One thing we've gained very clearly in the research is that gut microbiome is key to our mental health, our physical health. The more diverse the bacteria is in our gut, the healthier we are. What's similar in the home? The more diverse the bacteria is in the household uh, carpet, the healthier people tend to be, as we found in Amish communities. They have very high levels of diverse bacteria in their household because they've got livestock, farm animals, they have big families, there's more people in the home which are shedding their bacteria all the time. And um, in Western communities, what do we do? We use bleach. We use toxic, toxic chemicals, which are antibacterials, which accelerate our children's rate of asthma and allergies. So all of this use of sanitizers in the home, to me, is a big red flag, especially in the last three years, because it's the antithesis of what a healthy home is. Fair enough, there's a place for that in hospital settings, etc. But sanitizers and antibacterials in the home, many of these 
use triclosan, which target the thyroid and their hormone disruptors. I mean, it's a disaster. The information being given to consumers and the reality of what's going on is actually very different because it's about capitalism, it's about um, profits. And unfortunately, when students come through my advanced diploma of building biology, they go through this process of, oh my God, I didn't know this, that this system works this way. It's about CEOs are paid for profits and that's what they'll do at all costs at the cost of human health, unfortunately. And the bottom brunt of that is children, babies and families who are not understanding how the system works. And impacted by that and then a broken medical system that doesn't have the capacity yet to understand these impact of these environmental exposures how to diagnose patients from environmental exposures which we're all impacted by in order to put into systems in place to help them reduce exposures and more importantly detox these chemicals which of course are being passed through each generation in more and more levels at the end of the day it comes back to the individual to take control of their health right all the things that we're talking about here and the reason we're having this conversation right now is to empower people to be able to say okay i'm going to change this or i'm going to avoid that that's what it comes back to because we can't rely on the western medical system to start to advise us on that i'm a ceo of a company we do incredible infrared saunas right and i mean i see it almost every day how a ceo with perhaps a different value system to mine to put it politely <laughs> could easily make a bunch of decisions that are most definitely for the benefit of the business and not for the benefit of the end consumer. And at the same time, there is very little regulation, certainly in Australia and New Zealand, which is my wheelhouse, in terms of what you need to do as a company to put a product out there onto market. Now, we don't do in-house detergents and those kind of things, but it's still somewhat analogous. And I could see that very easily you don't have to do the testing. I mean, you might invent something, um, maybe even it's a piece of tech right? You don't have to do testing on what are the long-term effects if people sit next to that thing, you know, for four hours a day, knowing the ELF and the EMF numbers that it produces. You don't have to do the testing on what happens if that happens for 50 years to the person, you know, and then do that across different subsets of of culture and, and people and ethnicities and things. You just don't have to do that. And if you did, things would take a lot longer to get to market, which is probably a good thing, right? But it's just... That just doesn't happen. So at the end of the day, it comes back to us needing to take control of our health, needing to listen to extremely educated people like yourself and say, okay, well, maybe I can start to do some things here or maybe I can avoid some things, which a lot of our listeners actually do. So I hear you. It's um, a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. And look, just a, a point on exposure standards for electromagnetic fields, it's become very clear. Our ex current exposure standards are based on thermal effects that, you know, exposures when we have our cell phone and we use that, that it's going to heat our brain. It's become clear in the last 10 years that you don't have to heat the brain in order to have serious adverse health effects. We know the mechanism by which electromagnetic fields and more specifically radio frequencies that's emitted from all your Wi-Fi enabled devices and phones, how they affect the body at a cellular level. We know that. We know it suppresses melatonin, the most important anti-cancer hormone you have and, and affects sleep function. We know that it affects, you know, voltage-gated calcium channels in the heart and the testes and the central nervous system and causes high levels of oxidative stress, which in turn can be related to low-grade systemic inflammation, accelerated aging, increased cancer risk, etc. 
Many uh, of the environmental exposures cause oxidative stress. All roads lead to Rome, and that will accelerate your aging and it will accelerate your development of chronic diseases. But the authorities refuse to acknowledge, even though there was a $25 million US study that showed very clearly in their rodents that exposures to cell phones increase their risk for brain tumours. Uh, that was followed up shortly by an Italian study, you know, the largest rodent studies we've, that's ever been done. And it showed that very clearly. So there's a lot of data, even in human studies, that it's affecting us at a cellular level, especially the Russian research who are at the forefront of this research because of the Cold War and the, their microwave technology that they've been using. And they have warned decades ago that they have concerns about exposures to radio frequencies and microwaves from everyday devices and try to even ban the microwave oven in 74. Hmm. <laughs> but because of international trade agreements, they couldn't. But they will try and ban even the microwave oven, you know, many years ago. So unfortunately, it's got to the point, which is why I created the building biology industry to educate consumers. Okay, this is the way that what's going on. This is how you can live in a healthy environment in order to reduce your children and your exposures and still live in a technological world. And it's actually not difficult. This episode is brought to you by Found Space, Australia and New Zealand's premium infrared sauna company. Ready to sauna? Ready to take your health to a higher level? Make your home a place of wellness with Found Space. Visit foundspace.com.au or foundspace.co.nz to learn more. Why is it important to say turn off our Wi-Fi in the night times or as often as possible? What's it actually doing? You, you mentioned a little bit. What's it actually doing physiologically when we're near it and exposed to it? And what are some general kind of regulations around how long can we expose? What particular frequencies should we avoid at the most? And what's perhaps not so bad? Love it if you could unpack that a little bit more. So when it comes to wireless technology, it's important to reduce your exposure as much as you possibly can. The highest exposures are from sources closest to your person. So let's start with the cell phone. Clients will get a building biologist in because they're concerned about a smart meter or mobile phone base station. The reality is your highest exposures are devices closest to you, and that's going to be your cell phone. So how you use your cell phone is text instead of calling as much as you can. And that's good with this woke generation. At least they're doing a lot more of this and less of this. You know, my kids very rarely pick up the phone. I know I'm just going to have to text my kids. That's that's good. Keeps it away from their vital organs, their brain, their heart, and their reproductive organs. Um, use an earpiece, not Bluetooth, because that's radio frequency. That's like a microwave oven. Your brain becomes a microwave oven. So do not use Bluetooth. Use a corded earpiece as much as possible if you're going to make or receive calls. Or what I normally do is I go into a quiet room or most of the time I speak outside in the garden and I put this down and I talk to my phone this way. So I'm not holding it, etc. It's at a distance. Yeah, it's a pain in the, in the tush because, you know, I can't hear you locking out and I'm too bad it's my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Or use things like Skype. You can call people nowadays through your PC and there are the options where you don't have to use a cell phone to actually make calls. So that's really good too, things like Zoom, all that stuff. So that's another option. The phone is important. Do not charge your phone in the bedroom because it's constantly tuning into the nearest cell tower. So I can tell you what suburb you're in in case you've forgotten when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> um, you don't want that in your bedroom because it's emitting RF radio frequencies all the time. You don't want any Wi-Fi enabled device in the bedroom. You don't want a 
printer. You don't want a PC unless you turn it off at the PowerPoint. And you don't want, you want to check what's on the other side of the wall of your bed head. It shouldn't be any Wi-Fi enabled device, shouldn't be smart appliances, smart TVs, and definitely not a meter panel or a solar inverter. They are high sources of electromagnetic fields. So no phones. If you can get your bedroom to be clean in terms of electromagnetic fields and mimic nature, then you've got a good capacity to recover, which means you can be exposed to Wi-Fi in your workplaces, etc., because you've slept well. Sleep is so important that if you don't get your sleep, it doesn't matter what you do with your diet or lifestyle, you're never going to be well because sleep is important for immune function, for reproductive function, for pretty much every organ in the body and every system in the body, sleep has an important role. And of course, melatonin plays a major role there. I bought a book on the function of melatonin about five years ago. It cost me about $250. It was 400 pages long on the function of melatonin. And the quickest way you can suppress melatonin is to use your cell phone, especially after dark, because the blue light will suppress it. Um, the electromagnetic fields trick the body into thinking it's daytime. And that's the reason why you want to not using these devices unless they're hardwired. So in my house, I have hardwired. I don't have wired wireless routers. It's all hardwired. The kids have to connect it to their laptops through the Ethernet cable in order to get a internet connectivity. And the best thing about that, apart from reducing our exposures to radio frequencies, is privacy and data. One of the big problems now is security. Anyone can hack into those frequencies when you're using wireless devices. And as we know, privacy has gone out the window and the legislation that's coming through is essentially that there is no privacy anymore um, because people can hack into it. Governments have rights to hack into your devices now for security concerns, etc. So, you know, I think any way in which we can prevent the white use of wireless Go to Ethernet cables if you can, if you have bought your home and you have the option to port cable, that is the, probably the best thing you can do. If you can't, you're renting, then turn off your Wi-Fi devices, especially your routers, extenders and boosters and cordless phones emit very high levels of radiation and baby monitors, of course. So it's important to turn it off at the PowerPoint. I would suggest that you get one of those clock timers. You know, when you go on holidays and you turn your lights on and off automatically with the timer, well, get that connected to the router so it automatically turns it off at night without you thinking. So, you know, the kids can't sneak, you know, they're on their devices. They actually have to go to bed because they're bored because they can't get access to their devices because it's turned off automatically. That's a really good, simple thing people can do. Make sure your wireless routers, extenders, boosters are not in near your bedrooms. Ideally, they're in areas that are not used, either the garage or a room that's, you know, a guest bedroom that's rarely used, not in an area where people spend time because you'll be amazed how much radiation is pumped from those devices. What's your take on 5G? So 5G is a completely different infrastructure compared to what we've got at the moment. I have as many concerns as 5G as I do with the current technology, by the way. The radio frequencies and current technology is a big problem. 5G means it's using high millimetre wave radiation, so the waves are a lot smaller, which means the infrastructure is going to be completely different. We need antennas every 250 to 200 metres, which is a problem, but it's easily influenced. So just having a few gum trees or trees in front of your house can help block a lot of that because there's shorter waves, which is why you need more 
antennas in closer proximity. And of course, it means massive infrastructure for satellite technology as well. So essentially, we're going to bathe the entire planet with a man-made electromagnetic fields that is unprecedented in the evolution of humankind, which means researchers like me, it makes it very difficult to research because there's no control. There's no place that is not impacted by it, which is the antithesis of what science is about, control. So this is just insanity on such a scale. All of us are impacted by electromagnetic fields, just some of us get exposed. If you get exposed to higher levels, for example, if you have a router on your desk and you're working eight hours a day on it, you dramatically accelerate your exposures to electromagnetic fields and developing electromagnetic sensitivities. Those symptoms include headaches. They include um, brain fog, poor concentration, poor memory. I have many adults when they develop electromagnetic sensitivity become dyslexic. So they're reading pages and nothing's going in, having to reread and nothing's going in, mixing words, etc. That's a big red flag that I find with adults with electromagnetic sensitivities, uh, sometimes heart palpitations, ringing in the ears and tinnitus is very common. You know, I had one couple that engaged my services many years ago when they did their renovation and they put a second story on, they put their bedroom upstairs and they were living in Northcote. But what was happening was in Northcote, there's High Street, which is a lot of nightclubs and a lot of nightlife. And of course, more people using their cell phones, they had, four mobile phone base stations in direct line of sight from their bedroom upstairs. And of course, at night, the high levels of radiation because a lot of people were using their cell phones. So they weren't sleeping and she developed many ear syndrome, which is a balance related disorder that was so bad that she couldn't function. She had to be on pharmaceutical drugs. The interesting thing about that is six months later, her husband develops many years disease, which is really unusual. Mm. And that's when they called me in and they said, we can sleep better downstairs and my symptoms are better downstairs, but upstairs they're not. And because they had a lot of window mass, windows don't shield electromagnetic fields, so it was coming in at night. So in the end, they ended up moving to their beach house in a different area. And uh, that made a big difference. So there's not a lot of data on many syndrome and radio frequencies, but I do see quite a lot in our clients that they have dizziness, balance disorders, tinnitus ringing in the ears is really common. Children, it's often headaches or abdominal migraine related symptoms because a lot of headaches in children are reflected in the gut, but also brain fog, poor concentration, poor memory, missing words mid-sentence and sleep. Sleep disturbances are very ubiquitous. They just don't sleep. How about um, like solar on the roof? If you're in the second story and the, the solar panels are on the other side of where you're sleeping, do they cause radio frequencies or, or some sort of ELFs or anything? Yeah, it's more the magnetic fields from the inverter. So when the inverter is converting DC sun energy into AC electric energy, it's emitting high magnetic fields. So you want to make sure the inverter is away from, you know, that box is away from the home, ideally on a shed, a garage or on a wall where people aren't spending time immediately in that room because of the magnetic field. The other concern with solar is high levels of dirty electricity. So that's high frequency spikes that go from 50 hertz to the radio frequency band in fractions of a second. And many people who are electrically sensitive find they cannot live in a home where there's solar um, because this dirty electricity then rides along all the wiring in the house. So it's coming out from the walls where the wiring is and coming at about 1.2 meters it's riding on the electric field 
So that's one reason why I've chosen not to have solar at this point in time, because until we can sort a solution to prevent that dirty electricity riding along the building wiring, you know, it's not something that I want to expose the kids and I to. And to test that would be uh, a milligauss meter like we spoke about earlier, tri-axis, EMF, ELF kind of thing? Not for dirty electricity. You need, you know, your Stetzer filter or there are two meters, the GMI or Greenway filter that you can use. They're quite cheap, right? only about $120 or something where you can plug it in and it gives you an idea of the dirty electricity. There's not actually a, a unit of measurement to measure that. So, but generally, you know, if you're using the Stetzer ones, it's, you don't want anything more than 50 GS units, for example. The problem is a lot of that dirty electricity is now coming into your home from neighbouring properties. So as more and more people go to solar, it's coming in through your metre panel and going through your building wiring. So uh, that's becoming more and more of an issue. Um, colleagues, one of my senior lecturers in electromagnetic fields who teaches at the college, Australian College of Environmental Studies that I created, they're creating a system of, of how to have solar using coaxial shielded cabling and being mindful where you put the inverter to help stop this being uh, occurring within the house. So it's mm. complicated. And if you want to measure the magnetic fields near an inverter, is that, how do we measure that? The house meter, what we talked about earlier. Yes, the house meter, because you're measuring the magnetic field from that. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, give me some good news because <laughs> this is get, it gets heavy and it, it does, can feel like it? a lot. Yeah. So give me some good news, Nicole. There's got to be something good here. There's got to be a silver lining in the mess that is our homes. <laughs> yes. And that's, look, eventually that's why my students kept saying, Cole, it's really depressing this course. You've got to be hated. Um, and we're going out and telling clients to do this, this and this. They said, just write a book. So that's why I wrote Healthy Home, Healthy Family, which gives lots of great tips. This is what you can do to reduce your exposure to chemicals, exposure mm. to allergens, exposure to electromagnetic fields. The only thing I recommend you buy in the whole book is a good vacuum cleaner and a good air filter. That's it. The rest is knowledge. So that's the good news. It's about being mindful about what you buy. You know, perfumes, air fresheners, pesticide sprays, they're all big no's. Don't do that. Don't bring in chemicals. You know, in terms of pest management, there is a lot better options. Look at, you know, which I go into and fantastic websites on this, which I mentioned the book, where to get more information. That's the main thing. So, you know, in terms of chemical exposures, again, being mindful about what you buy, go back to basics. If it's not safe enough to eat, think twice about it. In terms of beauty care, uh, the next book, once I complete the PhD, will be get that shit off your face <laughs> and really go back to basics, you know, because there's a lot of marketing and hype that women have and propaganda that women have been given that's in their face from the moment they're born that is really unfounded when you look at the Polynesian women and they use coconut oil and, you know, uh, different types of moringa oil, etc. that are still in their natural state. So nature's created everything we need. Um, but, of course, that's not going to give profits for shareholders. So when you go back to basics, like I use mascara, I know I can cause blindness if I get in my eyes. It's a risk I'm willing to take, you know, but I use coconut oil on a cotton tip to get rid of it. Simple things, you know, that's my makeup regime. Will stop apart from a scrub made of oats or something like that with coconut oil again. If I shave, I use coconut oils to shave, not shaving cream. Simple things that are often incredibly effective, but not going to give dividends for anybody. So 
really simple things like that is important. Uh, in terms of your home, if you're in a good environment that's not close to heavy traffic, open your windows and doors to encourage fresh air. If, however, you're in Queensland where it's really humid in the humid months, you don't want to open your doors, etc., because that humidity comes in, it drives more mould-related problems. And mould is probably the most common thing that we do in as building biologists is actually test water damage buildings. It is a huge problem for people with asthma and allergies, and we now believe it's the number one cause of chronic fatigue-related symptoms. I see quite a few women with multiple sclerosis. You take a history, it started when they moved, into a water damage time or after a flood event and I'm questioning is this MS actually or is this actually mould and in many cases I'd argue it's probably water damage and fungal particulate from being in a mouldy environment. So keep your house dry. That is the really important to prevent mould is keep it dry. Make sure, you know, when you're showering that that steam is going to the atmosphere, that it's been vented from the shower straight inducted out through the roof to atmosphere outside not into the roof void that's important when you're you know cooking that the range hood works most range hoods don't do anything they're just recycling the air they don't actually funnel it out so just look have a good look with your torch open up the cupboards and bum go oh my god the range hood actually isn't fluid so get a plumber to come in to get a range hood that pulls that water vapour out to atmosphere, that it's ducted to atmosphere. That is really good to reduce the water vapour load in the house. If you're going to dry your clothes, you know, use a clothes condensing dryer. If you can't put it outside, that's really good advice because that emits high levels of water vapour. In winter, if you can't put your clothes outside or put it in a clothes condensing dryer, make sure you have good heating in the room because, of course, that's going to contribute. Every load, washing load you have is five litres of water vapor so reducing water vapor is important if you have a flood event make sure you dry it within 24 hours within 48 hours when you have liquid water sitting on a surface you've got microbial growth and what people don't understand is mold is everywhere fungal spores are everywhere from the arctic to the antarctica they're meant to be there so a healthy home has mold spores in it but they're not growing the key to problems is when it starts to grow and the reason it will grow is because it needs food everything in your house is a source of food for mold it needs the right ph the ph in the house is perfect for mold it needs the right temperature 15 to 30 degrees that's every household so the key to growth then is one thing and that's moisture if you have liquid water sitting on a surface for more than 48 hours you have microbial growth and it starts spewing out spores and hyphae and they contain mycotoxins which are some of the deadliest known chemicals known to man you start breathing them in you get these weird autoimmune like disorders chronic fatigue-like symptoms in 24% of the population because their immune response to these fungi is different to other people. Um, if you have got a, a good genotype for mold, you'll probably just get recurrent colds and flus, bronchitis, pneumonia if you're in a water damage environment for a long period of time. If you have the genotype that you can't, you have a different abnormal immune response, you'll end up with the chronic fatigue-like symptoms and brain fog and sleep disturbances, etc. So the key is to find this. If you see visible mold, that's a red flag. By the time you see, you're looking at 65 million spores per centimetre squared. 
that's massive. In a healthy home, you'll only have up to 500 spores per centimetre square in a healthy home. If you smell damp, musty odours, massive red flag because it means it's growing. That smell is what they produce in the growth phase. So that's a red flag. The problem is most of the homes we audit, we cannot see or smell the mould. But when we do our air and surface samples, it could be in the tens of thousands and it's at the point we go, you need to leave the house but you can't still smell it. You start pulling Ziploc off, it's in, hidden in the walls. The waterproofing membrane in the shower. The showers and bathrooms are only designed to last seven years. If your house was built past 2000, it's only seven years, the building warranty. People don't know this. They don't know if they spent an extra $2,000 on their $30,000 bathroom reno, that bathroom would last 30 years not seven. So these are the things that building biologists, we train our building biologists to pass on to clients that can make massive difference into whether their kids stay home because they're sick all the time and their academic performance has suffered and their relationships have fallen apart because she's got brain fog and the husband's never at home and he thinks his wife's going nuts. This is what we're finding. It is systemic problems across multiple industries, building, medical, health, because they're not even picking this up although that's changing. So, you know, there's amazing things that can be done, but if people design their home, and unfortunately designers and architects have no awareness of this, then this could prevent most of these issues and I probably wouldn't have an industry, which would be a good thing. I'm going to get a tent and I'm just going to go into a piece of land. I feel like that's a good option. <laughs> just <laughs> avoid all that. I mean, yeah, amazing. So much to think about. Um, we're coming to the end of our time and we've scared the pants off people, but there is hope. It's good. If there was one thing you wanted to leave everyone with, what is that? Read, become informed, take control of your health. Don't give your power away. Make sure you read the information is there to help you make good informed choices. You know, I think a lot of what's going on in terms of the younger generation and social media is that there are a lot of influencers who aren't passing good information necessarily. So it's really important to question everything, go back to basics, go back to we were, you know, even two generations ago where we made our own stuff, we recycled our own things. We didn't need to buy things all the time. You know, like I said, cleaning a good microfiber cloth and a vacuum cleaner, that's pretty much it. That's it. Um, and a bit of detergent in your water if you're doing the floors, etc. with a microfiber cloth technology is fantastic and it's going to save you a lot of money. Things you put on your on your body, question it. If you can't eat it, really think twice about putting it on your skin when you're going to absorb it straight into the systemic circulation. Simple, simple things. So, I mean, me, I live in a Western society. I do use my cell phone. I love that technology. I am exposed at times to those radio frequencies and I choose to live with the risk. But the difference is I make an informed choice because I know what I'm dealing with. Most consumers don't. So that's why it's important to read, to question, uh, think about where the information's coming from. You know, there's a lot on PubMed you can get onto. There's a lot of good books out there. A lot of books that I mentioned even in my own book and resources that are brilliant for pest management, electromagnetic field exposures. There's so many good things. So I really feel it's a, a good way to, to bring it together and, and help consumers. Lots of videos, even on my personal website, 
website, buildingbiology.com.au, on YouTube, on simple tips on how to create healthy homes for you and the kids. And I'm really positive about the fact that most of this is just information. It's not, you don't need to buy really expensive things. You don't need to, rarely do you need would I say get out of the house it's rare you know most homes are remediable it's about so a lot of it is really about common sense mm. my final question is what are some more advanced things that we can do say we've we've done some of this fundamental stuff we're filtering the air we know that we don't have a mold issue in the home we're using ethernet cables we don't even have a, a wi-fi router what are some more advanced things that we can do well, infrared saunas are brilliant to detox. A lot of my colleagues high up in the industry, that's what they recommend. In terms of uh, reducing exposure, that's it, really, what we've already discussed. And then going to really good practitioners, integrative clinicians through ACNAM, Australian Clinical Nutrition and Environmental Medicine, the naturopaths. Naturopaths can be fantastic. Some of them are really good at this, at identifying environmental exposures and helping you detox. Because once it's in the system and you've created a good environment, you can still be sick because you've got to get it out of the system. You've got to support those detoxification pathways, etc. So, um, and clean up your environment, clean up your diet. Think about your lifestyle yeah you're cycling but it's right near heavy traffic think twice about it don't go into rivers where there's blue green algae because that can cause similar symptoms to mold blue green algae affects up to 80 percent of our rivers so if you know if they jet skiing if they're in rivers be mindful about that because you know you're exposed to those toxins as well so yeah get to a good practitioner set up a good network get there's some really good facebook groups that can help clients navigate all of these issues as well and of course you know if you're stuck and you think your house is making you sick get a building biologist to assess that through the asbb our association amazing and so if people want to get one of your amazing team out to have a look at their home how can they do that and where can they just generally find out more about what you do? Yeah, so I mentioned my personal website, buildingbiology.com.au. The college website is the aces.edu.au, Australian College of Environmental Studies. Building biology is a rapidly growing industry. Even our mold, our three-month mold testing course, most people hit the ground running. There's so much work in that field alone. So have a look at that. We don't have building biologists in many areas of Australia. So, um, you know, there's there's definitely opportunities there. In terms of getting a qualified building biologist, you'll do that through the Australasian Society of Building Biology, which is the asbb.org.au. So they're an amazing group of uh, like-minded individuals in different parts of Australia. Many of them have been builders or restorers, remediators, um, naturopaths, etc., who changed their professions to do this. Yeah, it's a very rewarding career. A bit biased saying that because I created it. <laughs> uh, that's beautiful. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, been eye-opening. Very welcome. And I'll send you a book, Alex. Just give me your address. <laughs> yeah, end. amazing. Yeah, no, most certainly. That'll be awesome. Thank you so much. All right. There we go. What a jam-packed episode. You know, reflecting on this conversation, I really personally felt a bit overwhelmed. You know, I found myself going around my house and testing EMFs and things and looking for mold and all of this sort of, I guess, craziness. And in talking with, with others about these topics, I find that quite often can easily feel quite stressful in the moment because it kind of hits, well, it certainly hits me 
right in the face. It's like, this is where I'm spending a lot of my time and potentially it's not serving my well-being. It can be quite intense. And so I encourage you that if you feel that way to just take it easy. As Nicole said, you know, let's just do one thing at a time. It's not the end of the world, but bringing awareness to this can feel stressful. However, the awareness is what can help us move forward and make changes in our home environment. So ultimately we can live healthier. This podcast was recorded in the Sunshine Coast, Warrandyte and Vermont, Australia. And I want to acknowledge all the traditional custodians of the land, past, present and emerging that we are lucky enough to record this podcast on. I want to personally thank and acknowledge Maxine Edwards, our producer, our editor, Mike Pritchard, and Ricky Anderson, our video editor, without whom this podcast simply would not exist. And lastly, I want to acknowledge each and every one of you who are listening. I really, really am grateful for the listenership that we're growing on this podcast. And so with that, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. 